When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence. Hi again, everybody. Welcome to the Buffs Insider, a weekly podcast here at CUBuffs.com. That's Neil Welk at CUBuffs.com. I'm voice of the bus, Mark Johnson. Buffs coming off a 31-7 loss last week as they once again had the lead early and end up falling to number 10 Washington State. It's been a feast or famine season. Five wins up, now five consecutive losses. Five and five. Two and five in Pac-12 coverage play. Heading into tomorrow's Rumble in the Rockies, the final home game at Folsom Field. The Utes of Utah, 11-30 the kickoff. Going to be cold, somewhere around 30 degrees, 50, 60% chance of snow. Our coverage gets underway at 930. And, yes, you can come and see us. Neil will join us at some point in the first hour of the pregame out of Franklin Field. So we are going to brave the weather. Gary might not, but the rest of us will. At least be out there t- t- tomorrow. Come on by and, and say hi to us. All right, uh, 31-7 last week. What, what's your postscript on that game? Postscript on that game is they got another one uh, tomorrow. <laughs> is that short enough for a postscript? P.S. That's actually a preview. That's not a postscript. Oh, okay. You know, again, it's it, it's a, a game they came out and they started fast, scored first. They've scored first in all five of these losses, Mark. They've come out and taken the lead in all five straight games, just haven't been able to maintain it. Uh, defense played well enough last week, and that's the thing that's been really kind of confusing about this stretch. Uh, one week the offense plays well, puts 34 up down, you know, down at Arizona, but can't they can't stop Khalil Tate. Uh, score 34 against Oregon State, but can't stop Oregon State in the second half. Last week, defense played well enough. Going into the third quarter, it's a 17-7 ball game, uh, and and one of those touchdowns was a short field. I thought the defense played well enough last week. Offense didn't. One of these days, you figure they've got to put both of those together again. Where has the offense gone, Neil? Um, when you think about the first five weeks of this season, you and I sat here and we're talking about how prolific it was, how diverse it was, the numbers they were putting up. It's far too simplistic to say, well, LaVisca Chenault got hurt and that changed everything. Injuries happen to everybody. Yes, he's a dominating player. Uh, it was good to see him back, by the way, last week. He was probably, what, 65%, 70% maybe. Um, but it's oversimplistic to say that's been the issue. 
you know, I think if you look and see what teams are doing against Colorado, what you're seeing more and more of, and I think USC, you know, started that trend a little bit. They're not having to bring blitzes in to slow Colorado's, uh, to put pressure on Steven Montes to stop the passing attack. They're bringing three or four guys. They're getting pressure on the quarterback. That leaves them seven or eight guys to play pass coverage. And, you know, you've got guys out in the flats. You've got two safeties deep. You can do a lot of different things that way. Uh, Utah will probably play one deep safety. They play a lot of single coverage back there, but it'll still be, you know, a lot of pressure on the quarterback. And that's probably, to me, that's been the, the biggest difference is one, pressure on the quarterback, and two, they've stopped Colorado's run game. And I think what we've seen from Steven a little bit, and he made great strides early in the year, as that pressure has been getting to him a little bit, there's been that tendency not to step up, but to peel and see, try to create something. And that changes then the whole dynamics of everything. And, you know, doesn't give him a good foundation to throw the football. And so that creates problems and it kind of builds upon itself. Yeah, it does. And and I think you're seeing, you know, I don't want to say he regressed, but yeah, he he, he, he dropped back into some old habits. I mean, and he, he built those habits over years. And Steven's got the legs to get away from the rush. He knows how to do that. And I think that's just, that's still part of his instinct is to peel away, like you said, and, and try and get away from that rush. And uh, certainly that's caused a few problems. Uh, you know, he hasn't thrown a lot of interceptions. He still played played well in that regard. I think he's still playing better than he was a year ago, no doubt. But uh, it's also a matter of self-preservation because he's taken oh. some big-time hits. He had one last week that I, I don't know how he got up from. I mean, he got blindsided, and, and I thought, well, that's, you know, where's, where's – Where's Sam Neuer? Where's Tyler Lytle? Because Steven's not getting up. But he did. He came back and he played. And uh, But I think you're right. Uh, Steven is, is starting to you know uh, go back to some old habits. Just And I think it's self-preservation. Well, and I understand as well. I mean, listen, you can't get punched in the nose a bunch of times without starting to flinch a little bit, right? And and so what happens? We see this isn't just a Steven thing. He's, heck, you saw you go, go down the road of the Broncos uh, You know, last season where they had a, a young quarterback out there and, and – you know, guys start to see ghosts a little bit because they, they see a flash out of the corner and, oh, is that somebody coming or is that just somebody making a block out there where I need to, need to slide up? And, you know, that becomes problematic for a team. Flip it around a little bit. I, I think what we've seen, and you correct me if you think I'm wrong here, um, and I rarely am, by the way, Neil, uh, the, 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 front se- <laughs> the front seven, he's laughing right now, the front seven has been playing very well, but teams have figured out if you get that ball up quick and expect that, Young secondary, relatively inexperienced secondary, especially without Evan Worthington the past few weeks, that's probably the weakest link in that chain on defense for the Colorado Buffaloes. Yeah, exactly right, because Colorado has – and they didn't make any – there was no bones about that since the beginning of the season. They were going to play seven guys in the box. They were going to do a lot of different things, bring a lot of different blitz packages to get to the other quarterback. Number one, stop the run, then get to the other quarterback – leave their corners on an island. Worked well for them, but people have started to figure out. And I think it was really, you know, Oregon State really uh, took advantage of that in the second half when they came back and scored all those points. Jake Luton had a three-step drop, came back, boom, 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 and they started hitting a lot of short passes that turned into big gains. And that's what everybody has done since then. And so, you know, Colorado's got to come up with a, you know, they got to make a choice. Are they going to stop the run and leave a lot of guys there in the box and then play a little help in the safety uh, and in the secondary? Or are they going to, you know, try and stop that run and leave those guys out on an island? And that's that's kind of causing some problems. Hasn't helped with Evan Worthington being hurt. Mm-hmm. Now they got Delrick Abrams out. Uh, they haven't had Chris Miller, so it's a it's an inexperienced secondary, and uh, we'll see what happens. 
I didn't warn Neil this was going to happen, but I know he's fully prepped for it. Uh, this is the segment of the podcast, The Buffs Insider, this week, where you're going to explain exactly what is and is not targeting in the Pac-12. <laughs> well, I almost got in trouble last week because as an employee of the University of Colorado, we're not supposed to be critical of anybody, Pac-12 officials, which I wasn't really aware of that until somebody said, hey, Neil, you work here, you're not supposed to say mean things about the officials. So. And I did see the, the tweets, by the way, and I concur <laughs> they were mean. <laughs> And so I don't know what targeting is. I mean, I have talked to a variety of different coaches. I've talked to officials. I've talked to all kinds of people. It doesn't, it's not even from game to game. It is from series to series that targeting is different. And I, I agree with Mike McIntyre. They've got to figure out a way to change that. You cannot have a player get ejected for something that is not his fault. Nate Landman was aiming low at that quarterback. The kid ducked. He was, he was trying not to get hit hard. He ducked. They hit helmets. Nate Landman gets ejected. So maybe you, uh, Mike McIntyre has an interesting suggestion. Make it a penalty box. Put the kid that, that, that got the targeting call, he has to sit out for the next 10 minutes. But, and if he has another one in that game, yes, then he has to miss the game or whatever. Right. But, uh, you know, or, or hand out the penalty, but don't eject them for, for their first targeting call if it wasn't uh, – you know, intentional. There's just so many things that, that happen every week, and it's not just with Colorado. Someplace within the language of the rule, it's not being followed. Because, you know, Gary and I have obviously talked a lot about this in the broadcast. There's supposed to be some level of, of, of it being subjective where an official, the replay official, could look at it and try and determine intent. Was a guy launching? Was he coming high? In a case of, of last week's uh, targeting with, with Nate Lamon, it was obvious he was trying to come down low. They teach everyone, you know, hitting the target zone, right, between uh, middle of the thigh and, and up around the middle of the chest. He was trying to do that, so obviously the intent was not there. Somewhere it's getting lost in translation. I don't know if, if the officials, because this is such a prominent issue, are trying to, uh, you know, feel that they're being scrutinized. We've got to protect every – no matter what, we have to protect – the, the defensive player or not, but somewhere in translation it's getting lost here because there's got to be ability to look at it and say, I don't think this young man was trying to do that. There, there are some that are very obvious we can all make the call. Others, not so much, which is what Nate Lamons was. There has to be some discretion yeah. involved. The, the, the officials have to have a measure of discretion that they are allowed to have that. They do it in other plays. Mm-hmm. There, there, when there's a roughing the, penalty, a roughing the punter kicker or yeah. running into the kicker, yeah. which one is it? One's five yeah. yards, one's 15 yards. One's at a roughing the kicker it's a personal foul. The other one is, yeah, he was running at him and he, and he ran into him. And so that, that same kind of discretion has to be allowed in the targeting area, at least in, in uh, you know, the way I look at it. But here's the really weird thing. Larry Scott has yet to call me and ask me for my opinion. <laughs> I, I, well, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Well, that's too bad. He, Larry and I talked two or three times this week. Um, <laughs> here's, here's the other thing that's just kind of floating around the program. I mean, the, the storm clouds have circled the program right now. And, and you and I, you wrote about it, I talked about it uh, this week. There are rumors out there, all kinds of things. That becomes in part of the equation moving forward with this football team, that this group of guys, regardless of reality or not, have got to separate that and get themselves focused to try and get themselves to a bowl game with a game tomorrow against Utah. I think, you know, when, when we were out at practice this week and watching, I think the kids have done a good job of separating that. They still want to go to a bowl game. You know, they know that there's talk about their coaches and the coaching staff and, you know, but I haven't heard win one for the coaches as much as, hey, look, we're still five and five. We can win this game. We can win another game. We can finish seven and five. And and, and that's what they're saying to each other. And I think they still want to come out, win a football game and go to a bowl game. There's still a chance 
to have a successful season, you know, win a couple more Pac-12 games and go to a bowl game. And I think that's what's on their mind. I think they're tuning a lot of that other stuff out. I think they're looking at each other and saying, hey, you know, let's let's go win a game on senior day and, uh, you know, go to a bowl game. This matchup with Utah, it was interesting. I, I heard a uh, historical note earlier this week that it was some anniversary for the body bag game in the NFL that you remember. And I, I kind of chuckled because – I think Utah is the most physical team in the Pac-12, and I expect this tomorrow. If the Buffs are going to go out and compete in this thing and come out of here with a victory on Saturday, they're going to have to match the physicality of Utah. They're going to have to take a punch early because I guarantee you Kyle Whittingham's teams, we saw it last year, a year, you know, in Utah last year, two teams fighting for bowl eligibility. Utes came out and just punched Colorado, and, and Colorado was done. And I think that's what's going to happen on Saturday. They're going to come out and they're going to punch hard. I, I remember two or three years ago at the Pac-12 meetings, and I was talking to a coach from the Pac-12, and I said, what's the team you hate playing the most? And he said, Utah. And I said, why is that? And he said, you may win, but he said, when you get done, you're still bloody. He said, it's just a mean tough game he said those kids come out and play hard every game and that's what Kyle Whittingham coaches that's what he teaches and this is going to be a mean tough physical game and uh, Colorado's going to have to take that early punch and be able to come back I've got a level of respect for Kyle Whittingham and what he's built there I mean you, you think about it they lost Huntley uh, their starting quarterback they lost Moss who some coaches will tell you might be the best running back in the Pac-12 and yet last week still at home they beat a very quality Oregon team that's a program win when you watch something like that happen. It is, and that, and that's a, that's a credit to their defense because they play they play good defense every week. They lead the league in in rushing defense, 101 yards a game, and that's a team that they they don't have anybody that's bigger than the program. They never have. Uh, Kyle Whittingham's teams. He doesn't get the five-star kids. He doesn't get the four-star kids a lot. But I tell you what he does is they play good, solid football all the time. And it's fun to watch Kyle's teams play. It's old-fashioned football. It's not, uh, it's not fancy or anything like that. But, uh, again, they're going to come out, and you're going to know you're in a game. And, and Colorado has to be ready for that. Last two things here regarding football. I also want to mention a little bit of basketball. we got hoops, in fact, coming up tonight. Omaha, the uh, Mavericks of Nebraska-Omaha are in town to take on Tad Boyle's team after they open up with a win uh, on Tuesday, 171 as they beat Drake. Um, the 500th game in Folsom Field history. And, and no, Neil was not here for the first game. The third game, yes, in 1924, but not the first game. Uh, what, what do you think of this venue? And you, you've been covering this program for a long time as a student working in your professional career now here at the university. What, what do you think of what, what? What's your first thought when you think of Folsom Field? Oh, my first thought of Folsom is the setting. I mean, it, it is as spectacular and beautiful a setting. You know, nestled literally almost right under the Flatirons. It's it's a gorgeous campus right in the middle of campus. And and uh, you know, the other thing you think about, and obviously Ralphie hasn't been here for all 500 games either. But you know, that just adds to the flavor of that uh, of the venue. And I think it's one of the great venues in college football. It's just it's a very pretty venue. Uh, it's very intimate. Uh, 50,000 people, and as Mike McIntyre mentioned the other day, right on top of you, mm -hmm. right on top of you. And I know opposing coaches hated to go and clear back to Barry Switzer when people used to sit right behind Barry Switzer and yell at him. And Tom Osborne, they used to torture poor Dr. Tom like nobody's business. And so those are the things I think about about Folsom. 
Yeah, undoubtedly. And, and make sure you join us for the broadcast, by the way. Not only uh, legendary voice of the Bunch, Larry Zimmer, will be doing his uh, Zim Zone piece on the history of Folsom Field. Our Reed Fisher is going to run down some of the great highlights in Folsom Field history. And uh, we'll also hook up with Associate Athletic Director David Platty, who, of course, is uh, kind of the oracle around here. And we got him to talk a little bit about the history of this. And throughout the ballgame, by the way, we're going to be dropping in, just coming out of commercial breaks, highlights, great moments uh, that have happened. And, you know, you think of Rashawn uh, Salam going over 2,000. And, you know, uh, in recent years, I know there have been many great moments here, but, you know, knocking off number three Oklahoma here a few years ago during the Dan Hawkins era. So we'll touch on a lot of, a lot of those kind of things. Now, now the senior class. Uh, this is always, I think, an introspective uh, day in a football program when the seniors run out there for the last time, 19 Buffaloes, including the coach's son. And you and I get a chance to know them not only as players, but as kids, as young men as they grow up, it's a good group of fellas that are going to walk out on the field for the last time. It's it's a solid group of kids, and I always have a lot of respect, you know, for the kids that came here when Colorado was not good. These kids came here. They, you know, a lot of them came in in that night, uh, 2014 recruiting class. Some from 2015. Some were JUCO transfers, but they came here. Uh, to try and make Colorado better. There were no guarantees of anything. And, and uh, you know, kids like Rick Gamboa, who's just been solid, steady kid, uh, a great representative, not just of football, but of the University of Colorado. So, uh, you know, you wish them the best of luck, not just tomorrow, but, uh, you know, in the future, because they're all going to be, you know, go on and, and become good, solid citizens, good kids. Segue a little bit. Basketball. They opened up with that nice win the other night. Uh, a lot of anticipation for this season. I think they delivered, in particular, in the second half against Drake tonight. Nebraska-Omaha comes to town here. It's a 7 o'clock tip-off. 6.30, by the way, the pregame on the Colorado Basketball Network here tonight. Uh, they didn't have Deshaun Schwartz and DeLeon Brown didn't play the other night. Coach's decision in one case, NCAA in another. They're both expected to be back tonight. But there was nothing I saw on Tuesday that didn't make me think everything I thought in the preseason was right on, and this is going to be a lot of fun to watch. That's a team, you know, Tad said it in practice, uh, after practice Thursday, he said, hey, he said, we had fun, coaches had fun, players had fun, everybody played hard, and he said, if you were there to watch that game and as a fan, you had to enjoy that performance because you saw 9, 10 kids play good, hard basketball, do a lot of good things, and that's a team, they keep doing that, they keep playing that way. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch because they do a lot of things well. Yep. I think so. Good stuff. Again, basketball coming up tonight, 7 o'clock the tip, 6.30 the pregame, Colorado Basketball Network. Yours truly has got Wilkie have the call on that one on Saturday, 11.30. Tomorrow, it's going to be, by the way, chilly out there. What's the worst weather game you've ever been to at Folsom Field? Uh, probably the 1991 Nebraska-Colorado game. I think it was a, like 19 degrees at kickoff. Yeah. Had about an eight below wind chill. And I think the score ended up like 19-19. That's the game that ended up in a tie. Greg Beekert ran back an extra point attempt uh, to make it a tie. And it was just miserable. I mean, it was there. It was frozen cold, and uh, it was even chilly in the press box, Mark. <laughs> well, and by the way, if, if it is too cold for you tomorrow, uh, you know, Gary's got a, a space seat right by him, so come and sit with us in the booth. <laughs> I'll, I'll think about that. I'm sure he appreciates the fact I'm telling everybody you're soft. Uh, 11.30, the kickoff tomorrow. Again, temperature's about 30 degrees. They're saying 50 60% chance of snow. Going to be a chilly one. Get on out there. Uh, celebrate the 500th game at Folsom Field. Celebrate those seniors and see if the Buffs can get a bowl-eligible sixth victory as well. Our coverage gets underway at 9.30 a.m. tomorrow on the Buffalo Stampede. For Neil Welk at CUBuffs.com, by the way, read all his stuff leading up to the ballgame and his postgame stuff at CUBuffs.com. I'm voice of the bus, Mark Johnson. Thanks for joining us this week on the Buffs Insider.